Welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I'm Sarah Buddery. And I'm MJ Smith. And this week we are joined by a guest. So everyone welcome Tom Butler to the show. Tom, welcome. Ah, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, Before we get into the scene, uh, we have to ask the inevitable, which is the Jaws question. as it were. So what what is your Jaws origin story that led you to a uh, a minute by minute podcast of, of the film? <laughs> well, uh, so my my I, I want to credit my mum here because she has a real appetite for blockbuster cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, she remembers seeing it at the cinema with m- my dad and a friend of theirs, and then. Obviously, she introduced us to it at the at home on TV at some point in my childhood. I don't know when. I don't know how old I was. Um, but there is a bit of a, a family story that goes with with Jaws. That is something that we still talk about to this day. I'm, I'm one of uh, one of three. I've got two older sisters, and so my middle sister, Rebecca, she um, basically she watched a bit of Jaws and it made her vomit <laughs> um, in the family home. <laughs> So this is the story like she still to this day and she's over four, she's 40 now. She still has not watched Jaws since seeing it at the age of eight or nine um, because it made her sick. And I asked her about this the other day. I said, what was what, what the story? How did it happen? What happened? She said, I don't she, she said that she basically came into the living room and it was on the TV and she saw the shark and she saw some blood in the water and she was sick right there. <laughs> onto where she was stood (laughs) she says she was about eight or nine at the time so that makes me seven or eight when i was watching it at that time as well but she also said that she was possibly ill as well at the same time um but yeah that's that's how i got to see jaws um or at least one of the first times i got to see it but it was one of those films that we put on uh, recorded on vhs and just watched it over and over again along with a bunch of other you know different films of that era um and yeah, it's just a film that I've always loved. It's always been sort of top 10 of my favourite films ever. It keeps going up and up, I think, every time I've seen it. Um, and then just ha- how I ended up coming to you guys, I think like a lot of people, uh, at the start of 2020, uh, I was spending a lot of time doing exercise on my own. And I found your podcast and it was just a, a constant source of um entertainment for me i found it really interesting learned loads of new stuff about the film and hence why i contacted you and um here i am on the uh, an amazing minute i must say which i'm sure you'll explain in a minute in in a moment but um yeah i'm absolutely thrilled to be uh to be able to talk about this specific moment uh in the film yeah um <clears throat> it's funny that that i feel like everyone has sort of those um movies you recorded off the the tv and watched Mm -hmm. growing up um i've talked about my love of godzilla on the podcast before but mine was definitely godzilla movies they would air on the sci-fi channel 
when I was a kid and I would record them and then watch them back on the weekends um, and had like my Godzilla toys that I would play with. Um, and it seems like Jaws is a lot of that. Jaws and Star Wars seem to be the top two of mm-hmm. uh, those films for for people, which, um, you know, makes sense. But it's it's the, the funny thing, and we've talked about this a little bit before, is that Jaws is universally beloved like almost no one will argue with you about jaws and people have their star wars opinions to an exhausting degree but yeah you know no one no one really questions jaws like you don't mention like oh one of my favorite films is jaws to people and people go ah why Yes, I was thinking about some of the other videos that we had, and it was uh, like short, uh, short circuit, batteries not included, mm. Gremlins, um, just classic rewatchable uh, films of that era. But yeah, I mean, I feel like it's on. It, I mean, Sarah will know. I know you've talked about it at length, but it was on. It feels like it's on TV a lot over here, or it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but that age, I think, seeing it is is kind of crazy. I've got a six year old, and I can't imagine her sitting sitting her down to watch it <laughs> in the next year or two. That's like. No way. No way. <laughs> yeah. A few more years yet. <laughs> yeah. At least. Yeah. I, I feel like if you see it that young, it needs to be one of those accidental ones that kind of messes you up. Like, uh, <laughs> like I've talked about this too. Mine's Blair Witch where it's like, oh, no, one, someone showed that to me who was not my parents and they should not have showed that to me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it goes like one of one of two ways when you see stuff like that when you're too young it can go the way of tom's sister which is you vomit and then never watch it again (laughs) or it goes the way of like desensitizing you to to stuff from like a very early age so i won't i martin has told me some of the stuff he watched when he was like a child and i'm like what (laughs) what was happening like he saw the exorcist when he was very young and i was like okay this explains a lot about why you love horror so much and why i am the world's biggest wimp because i didn't really watch any of that stuff was not exposed to any of that stuff at all Mm -hmm. so it's i it depends i think on yeah the reaction to it is either going to be like absolute horror i never want to see this thing again it has deeply traumatized me or like if you watch enough of it, <laughs> you then just become so used to it that it doesn't it doesn't phase you at all. Like he can watch anything and not be scared, and I'm just like a, a big old scaredy cat about everything. <laughs> I, I I could be wrong, but I don't think I've ever been scared of Jaws. I mean, it's thrilling, no. like yeah. it mm-hmm. is an adventure, mm-hmm. but it's never left me too scared to go in the water. Do you know what I mean? I don't yeah. like I don't know if that's unique or or what the, what the one film as in my childhood that really scared me was tremors for some reason mm. there was just something about that premise that really just gave me nightmares i guess it's kind of that's kind of like jaws on on land isn't it in a way yeah. but yeah. um uh there was something much more scary to me about that than jaws cuz i'm not going to be in the water with a great white shark i guess um mm-hmm. i yeah, I I came to jaws a little bit later so it has it has never scared me but also yeah. I guess I didn't really have that childhood experience with it, but I used to be, and I think I've mentioned this on the pod before, like very, very scared of Jurassic Park to the point where I wouldn't watch it, but specifically just that bit where the dinosaur eats him on the toilet. And it wasn't because it was a dinosaur, it was because I'd been to the toilet before in my life. (laughs) And I was like, this could happen to me. (laughs) So for ages was just like didn't watch that film avoided it at all costs because i just had this memory of it being absolutely terrifying so then when i watched it as an adult i was like 
oh, it's actually, it's actually fine. <laughs> but Jaws, Jaws was never that for me. But I think maybe if I'd watched it a bit younger, possibly. But my my parents were very good at not letting us watch stuff that we shouldn't have mm-hmm. been watching. Yeah, my sister showed me Poltergeist when I was like six, and I had nightmares. Um, oh, that was that's my earliest one. Is Poltergeist, which I love yeah. now, but <laughs> movie's still really scary. <laughs> the back half of that movie is really, really scary. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, these are all Spielberg adjacent films, which I think is interesting. Um. Or, you know depending on which narrative you buy into about the making of Poltergeist, uh, could all three be Spielberg movies. Um, (laughs) But this is, I think, the ultimate one. And uh, we have a a chunkier scene than we've had in a a couple weeks. Uh, It's a minute and 30 seconds. Shout out to the notes having it written down (laughs) for me. Um, And it is from one hour, 38 minutes and 20 seconds through one hour, 39 minutes and 50 seconds. And boy, is it a good minute and 30 seconds of film. So last week we ended with Brody saying he was going to go make a phone call and he goes into the cabin and uh, starts to call the Coast Guard for backup. He really wants this bigger boat. And... Quint very calmly uh, grabs a small baseball bat and shatters the radio uh, while Quint or while Brody is calling for backup and uh, then hands the bat to Brody. Brody in turn um, loses his shit is the only way i can describe it on on quinn he's very upset with him and quint kind of dismisses him and then hooper notices the shark circling back um and informs quint and brody and uh quint hollers at hooper to hook him up another barrel which he does and um <clears throat> quint heads to the uh, the front of the ship the little uh, I think it's called the pulpit um, and shoots the barrel, the new barrel into the shark and instructs Hooper to to start chasing after it again. And we end with the beginning of this big chase sequence um, with the shark in the water. And that's that's what happens in this minute and 30 seconds. But what what did you guys notice in this uh, this handful of film? Um, Tom, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot to get stuck into in this in this moment. First thing I wanted to mention was that um, it's obviously the second time that that Brody tries to use the radio. Um, the first time being when the the shark, you know, attacks the boat um, and puts the water in. And that previous time, Quint uh, gets him off the radio by telling him to put the fire out. It's a very subtle, you know. Yeah, he needs to put the fire out, put the radio down. Um, but this time, obviously. <laughs> He definitely wants him to get off the radio. Um, and I thought what was really interesting is how Brody, he's obviously the landlubber. He's really connected to speaking to land in this moment. Um, and in many moments previously uh, where he's felt most in danger. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting that, um, yeah, this isn't the first time he's tried to use a radio, but this time Quint really doesn't want him to use it. Um, and uh, yeah, 
it's um yeah it's quite interesting and that very first look of quint when he pops up into view there's such a wild look in his eyes but but also he's scared like he's scared that brody's gonna make that call to land um and that's something that i thought was really interesting like what is his motivation uh in this moment and yeah i guess i wanted to sort of chat to you to 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 get a sense of what you guys thought his motivation was for for smashing up the radio i i had a i had a thought which came to me just now as you as you were talking there which is we've spoken obviously a, a lot post indianapolis how quint is is kind of a changed person and in the indianapolis speech he mentions about how the most scared he felt was when he knew help was coming um which is why he sort of you know is like i'll, I'll never put on oh, a life jacket again shit um yeah. <laughs> so i this is a possible reason I mean, there, there's other explanations and other reasons as well, but a possible reason why Quint is so anti-help being called because that's like a, a, a slightly triggering thing to him, which is like the bit that I was most scared when the Indianapolis thing was happening was when help was coming. So I don't need help. And I have, uh, I mean, I think as MJ's reaction demonstrated there, that was my reaction when I thought of it. Um, have never thought about it in that way before because I've always just seen Quinn as this, you know, he doesn't need the help of anyone else. You know, there's too many captains on this island. It's just me. It's I, I'll do this by myself. And I've always read it as Quint just being this guy who just wants to do the thing himself and just wants to catch the shark by himself. He's a bit antisocial. He doesn't really like sort of being around other people that much. Um, but I think it's so important to view this back half of the film with Indianapolis sort of very, very close in your mind. There's a reason why that is such a big bit in the film and it takes up such a a long amount of time as well. I mean, it took us, what, five weeks of episodes to get through the whole speech. Mm -hmm. It's a big moment in the film and it's not just he says the speech now we know about quint we move on from there it has repercussions for the for the rest of the film and i think changes how you see quint in this back half of the film but just also sort of retroactively changes how we see quint prior to to that as well i think mentioned it on on the appropriate episode but um quint sort of saying you know i I don't need anyone to come with me is not just him wanting to do it by himself and get all the glory. It's that when he went through what he did in the past, he had to watch all these other people die around him. And he doesn't want to go through that again and, and see other people around him die because of, you know, what they're doing and, and going out and hunting this shark. But I just thought that was an interesting thing to consider in terms of like, he clearly has something against this radio (laughs) the fire distraction technique from before and now this completely taking it out of the picture a a, a way that i've never thought about it before is is thinking about that that idea of being scared when help is on the way you know one i no notes i have nothing to add to that (laughs) i think that's exactly what happened um But two, I sort of understand that, um, not in the sense that, like, knowing help on the way is scared, but I remember after I got 
specifically after I got my second COVID vaccine, that my immediate thought was not relief to be protected against the virus that is taking a lot of lives. It was, I am going to be so mad if I die in the next, like, year. Because (laughs) I made it through this pandemic, and I've gotten the thing that protects me from it, from the virus. But if, like, if I get taken out by a car or a sudden health emergency not related to COVID, I'm going to be so upset when I go. Where it's like, man, you mean I did a year of this, did the thing, got it, and then I still didn't survive. Like, I didn't get the makeup year after that. Um, And now, obviously, there's a lot of reasons why we haven't really truly had the makeup year after that. But that was my initial thought after I got the virus where it was like, okay, we got the help that at least protects us significantly more than anything we had previously. Uh, And now I'm worried about anything else preventing me from (laughs) from enjoying the fact that I have a little bit of that um, freedom to to do stuff again. now now that we have paid the dues here. So I kind of understand that that line of thinking. <laughs> I also love in this moment how um, the way that it's put together, um, you get Qu- Quint's point of view and it's Brody trying to use the radio. And then and he's, and he's obviously doing a very bad job at it because he's panicking. Um, and then you get the, you know, the cut to him getting the baseball bats, uh, the baseball bat. Um, and there's a tracking shot, you get the cut hand of Quint, mm-hmm. and then you get the back of Brody's head, and you just think, for a moment, you think, is he going to hit Brody? Yeah. Um, it's such a beautiful way, and it's just done so quickly. Um, and yeah, you just you you are not sure until he hits the hits the um, hits the radio. And also, I don't know if you noticed, but in that build up to that moment of hitting the radio, you've got the jaw, the two note Jaws theme playing. And as soon as he hits the radio for the first time, the music cuts out completely, um, which, again, is just brilliant filmmaking, I think. Mm-hmm. And we've made Quint and the shark comparisons before. So that bit of the score sort of like being there when Quint is sort of, uh, you know, about to launch his attack, <laughs> I think is actually very, very, very appropriate and a, a shout out to Werner Fields, the editor of Jaws, because this will get to another bit that I just absolutely adore uh, later on in this in this moment. But the way that this, you know, Quint grabbing the bat and then, you know, beating the living crap out of this radio, the way those shots are, are edited together is so perfect because you get the, obviously you see Quint grabbing the bat and you get Brody like reacting. So you see Brody sort of like looking up at something and then it cuts to Quint like, you know, with the bat ready to strike. And like you said, Tom, you have that moment of being like, is he gonna, <laughs> is he gonna hit Brody? Like what is, what is going on here? Because it, it genuinely could have gone that way, I feel, um, depending on how much moonshine he'd had to drink that morning and, you know. <laughs> how he was feeling but and then you sort of you get the you know the, the shot of Quint about to strike and then you sort of see the impact but but Brody flinches as well and it's quite it's a it's a Quint is obviously not aiming for Brody but it is still quite like a near miss <laughs> I feel like it could have it could have gone the way of uh Brody getting a 
bonk on the head as well, which is uh, would really change the back half of this film. Was he's just concussed, <laughs> lying in the back of the orca, wondering what has happened. But um, it's such a it's such a great uh, such great editing. I think in those in those shots of sort of like leading you to believe that one thing could happen and that thing being entirely plausible as well, um, and then sort of seeing Quint go go for the radio um, is just so great and a small thing that i really enjoy as well is that quint has two baseball bats to choose from mm, i yeah. just like that as a i'm just like why uh, one why does he have two uh why does really, he have one why, why does he have one right <laughs> is there not much room to play baseball on a yeah. on a on a boat uh obviously its purpose is to be used as a weapon <laughs> hey it's the uh it's the great american pastime i don't know what to tell you uh, yeah, the film, the, the America of it all. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> it's right there. The choice of Americas, if you will, uh, from the, yeah. the two bats as well. But they, they're they sawn off baseball bats. They've had the tops of them sawn off. <laughs> they're so they're... sawn off <laughs> Because I looked it up because you the, they, the, the bat was up for auction um, a few years ago. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, the top portion has been sawn off. Yeah. Um, to make it sm- from 34 inches to 24 inches. Yeah. And it's, so the question is, what, so why has he got the bats? Why have they been shortened? Um, but one thing I did look up, and this was literally from Googling baseball bat shark, is that there is, um, I think that possibly some fishermen use them for beating the the sharks that they catch. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so when they pull them onto the onto the deck, that's how they knock them out. Which just sounds brutal to me, but the Sean off, Sean off bit, I, I don't know. I, I yeah, no idea. Yeah, I, I I actually was gonna say probably that of like if they get you know, if, if a fisherman gets a fish that's still alive or something, like they might take the baseball bat to it to you know, end it. Which it does sound very brutal. Um, but I the only thing I could think of is just to save space so he could have multiples in case one breaks down. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when he's like you're gonna need a bigger bat and he goes you're gonna the exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um <laughs> this sequence though it's uh it's really great i actually i love the way at the very beginning that's it's sort of in the transition between last week's scene and this scene where quint pops up he pops up into the shot like the shark and that's when the 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 jaws theme starts like it is a direct comparison to Quint and the shark in this situation um, where, you know, Quint pops up very wild eyed uh, Mm -hmm. in, in this scene. Like he is, he is, I think, like you said, kind of triggered by this. uh, And I mean, that's why I said no notes like that. You, you, you figured it out. I mean, it's, it's exactly (laughs) that he's, he's, does not want this help, not because he thinks he's above it, but because it is so traumatic for him. Uh, But at the same time, and I really think not in a way that is mean to Quint, this thing is edited like a Hitchcock sequence, and I love it. Um, It feels, I mean, it feels like the shower scene. In, That's what I wrote in my notes. In Psycho. Like it, <laughs> yeah. it really feels like it because especially that shot of the back of Brody's head and then Brody looking horrified as Quint approaches and then Quint rushing in with the bat like over his head. You have no idea where that's going to go. 
And it's a little darkly comedic that he goes to the radio instead. It's like a it's it's like a, a weird little mean joke that that the movie plays on you as an audience member. And I love that. Like it's so it's so like offbeat, weirdly funny that it goes through the trouble of setting up all this tension for the punchline of he destroys the radio and not, you know, attacks his fellow crew member. Because I think we've all seen those sort of crew isolated at sea and one of them goes mad and, you know, starts attacking the other uh, crew members type of movies. Um, I call that space madness because of the Ren and Stimpy episode whenever (laughs) that happens. But uh, so it's set up like that's, what's going to happen and then oh he just destroys the radio which sucks but is not the way like it completely sets up one expectation especially since it shot so much like the psycho scene which i guarantee you most of the audience has seen um and you know hitchcock direct inspiration on spielberg um and then it, it just has this little like very darkly maybe even funny to just spielberg at the time uh <laughs> punchline of him destroying the radio that uh yeah the hitchcock comparison is really apt i think especially with the uh the looking at it from from um quince pov as he is looming into the into the room it is sort of very psycho-esque um but also i love the way that it cuts away to to hooper on the on the deck um, looking through the window, he gives us like, you know, this is how you react. He just looks in and is just like, what? What's mm-hmm. going on here? Um, and it's just a beautiful piece of, obviously there's only three people on this boat, but now we know that all three are now involved in this moment because if we hadn't had that shot, Hooper would never have known that this had happened. Um, but it's a, just a lovely little insert that, that happens in midway through it. Um, I think it happens when he's smashing the radio, I think. But... um yeah, I, I counted seven times he hits the radio, <laughs> which uh, is enough, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was just looking because I, I wrote down in my notes about how much this bit reminded me of Psycho. And I was just looking up that sort of like shot of like Norman Bates, like with the with the knife held behind him. Mm. And it's really very similar to, <laughs> to what we what we see Quint do um in this shot i can't find anywhere like a side by side on the internet because no one else yeah. has thought of this but maybe i'll put the two together and then i can just be like look <laughs> we know things um can you but... drop that in the discord i would like to see it i've got that so i've got the um the norman bates let me pop that yep. in it's even the way it's oh like shot as well in like <laughs> yeah. slight kind of yeah. silhouette like you can't sort of fully see you can see it's Quint because, I mean, who else is it going to be at this point? But it's very, very similar. <laughs> like the angle, the way he's mm-hmm. holding it. Like... And it's smoky in there as well. It's yes. like the steamy. Yeah, like the steam like... The... yeah. I mean, uh, you cannot tell me that this bit is not inspired. Yeah, there's inspired. no way. There's absolutely no way. And I love the way Quint kind of, he kind of floats through the air. Like he, it doesn't look like he's walking. It's like otherworldly the way he, he walks up to him. Like there's no, there's no like 
I guess, recoil from where his steps land into his upper body. He, it's all one motion. You know, it's, it's almost like he's, he's on like wheels or something, um, mm. to, to get into that shot. It's, it's so fluid, mm-hmm. like a, like mm-hmm. a shark's movement. Yeah. Speaking of, wait, this is going to be a weird seg, but <laughs> fluid movements from Quint. Promise that's not a euphemism. Um, <coughs> when the, so we'll come back to uh, Hooper's line because I do really enjoy the delivery of, of Hooper's line um, <laughs> when he says the shark is coming back for his noon feeding. But yeah. there is a beautiful uh, moment where Quint is, he's come out of the cabin um, speaking to Brody. And Brody is sort of left inside with his anger, and he comes out to the back, and he sees that the shark is there, and it's not quite a one like a one take. I was really hoping it would be because yeah. it would have just elevated it to a, like a whole other level. But that movement he does. So there's a there's a couple of cuts where it sort of shows Hooper attaching the barrels, but there's a bit where where Quint sort of sees the shark is coming around the side. He jumps up on the side of the boat. The camera follows him around then there's like there is a cut in there he grabs the the gun off of hooper he does like a little spin and then he ends up like in the right position on the pulpit to sort of like make the shot and it's like in the time that this shark has taken to like circle the boat that whole movement has happened and it's wordless i think i don't think he's sort of saying you know oh hey hooper give me that but from what we've seen previously and there's been a lot of like Hooper do this, Hooper do that, pass me that thing, give me that thing, do this thing. That moment, I was just like, these two are working as like one unit. Like Hooper is not faffing around with his like tracker thing or anything Mm -hmm. now. He is hooking up that barrel. He is in position. Quint has like moved from the back of the boat round to the front of the boat, basically racing the shark as well because the shark is moving around as well in time to pick up that weapon and be in the exact position that he needs to be to take the shot and i don't think i have ever appreciated how exquisite that movement is it's like a ballet (laughs) just the way that quint moves across that boat and how it is shot so beautifully as well sort of like following him around from from back to front to then making that shot is amazing i I'm mad at myself for never noticing how great this bit is before, but I think I had in my mind this idea of like Hooper and Quint sort of now really, really working well as a team. And we had that in last week's episode, so it sort of carried over a bit where they're below the deck on the orca and they're, you know, grabbing their tools and you almost can't tell like who is who. It's just like hands reaching out and grabbing and they're working at the you know, the same time doing the same thing and, and helping each other without sort of really putting words to it. But this is what the film does so well. And we mentioned this before, it never needs to give us that, you know, we're not so different you and I moment, but they have it when they're comparing scars and we see it in how they then change the way they work with each other after that. And it's like this bit is just, it's a real chef's kiss moment for me. <laughs> I just absolutely loved it. And can we just say, like, what an incredible performance by the shark in this moment as well? Because, <laughs> you know, they said how difficult it is to make and how they could never get the shark to perform. But the shark in this moment, they've obviously 
the way that the camera moved there but let's 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 not forget they're filming this from one boat onto another boat with the shark as well and the actors and the shark moves from one side of the boat to the front of the boat and i know it's broken up with shots but the shark you just never not convinced that that's a, a, a real shark right it's like completely believable and the way that they've um chef like marshaled it in that moment is is fantastic and and just at the start as you mentioned you know he's on the front of the uh, sorry on the back of the boat let me try and get this right yeah he's on the back of the boat and something i noticed when i was watching it is how when the shark comes from the right hand side and a hooper's looking out uh, sorry quince looking out the back of the boat the shark surfaces and then the way it cuts through his middle as he's going as it goes past him like literally cuts through his legs right through the middle of him and you just think, I mean, that's like foreshadowing to the max if it was on purpose, which I'm going to assume it probably wasn't. But the way that it cuts right through him is just perfect. And then you're right. And then the way that it tracks him along the side of the boat. And then he does that little twirl as well when he hits the um, the pulpit. What's the twirl for? Is it something to do with the way that the, the rope's attached? It must be. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think so. But that twirl, that whole movement is just so brilliant. Yeah, I mean, would you say Quint is a, a jet then in this part <laughs> since he's fighting a shark? Mm, yeah, you're really you're really leaning into this West Side Story <laughs> Jaws thing, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, doing my own tweets on the podcast now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, you're right. I've never noticed that like. It's not quite a one take, but that shot of 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 Quint running across and then the camera being mounted on the opposite side of the, the orca and following him through the windows mm-hmm. is really great. Though I do think there is a moment where it kind of catches Roy Scheider off guard because it looks like he's playing with the bat. Um, <laughs> if you if you it looks like he's just kind of like flipping the bat in his hands. Yeah, um, I see it. <laughs> because he's because he's not supposed to be really in the shot um so it looks like he's just kind of hanging out casually messing with the bat that was <laughs> that was given to him oh yeah <laughs> talking of which why why do you think quint gives him the bat after he smashed up the radio because he smashes up the radio and then hands it to, to hands it to him to brody yeah i, I it's an, it's an interesting move <laughs> it's uh i i mean there's different I wrote down in my notes that it's like, so it's a real power move on Quint's part to be like, I'm going to like destroy this thing that you're trying to use to get help. And then I'm going to hand, like hand you the weapon. It's like, what, what assurance does Quint have that Brody isn't about to, you know, <laughs> whack him over the head with this, with this baseball bat. Cause Brody is Which has every right to do. <laughs> Yeah, he is royally pissed off uh, in this moment. You know, he is yelling at him. He's like, you know, you're certifiable and all this sort of thing. It's does does Quint kind of have this thing in the back of his mind, maybe, where he's like, yeah, Hooper can, you know, steer this boat and do a lot of other things, but I'm the guy who catches the shark. So, like, I can give this guy the baseball bat. It doesn't matter. He's not going to do anything because I'm the guy who catches the shark. So that I think this is where we see, like, some of the really kind of, like, cocky... Quint <laughs> coming through because it's like <clears throat> especially the way he walks away from Brody as well where he is literally like blah 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 <laughs> and 
as Brody is yelling at him. He's like, yeah, this guy isn't going to do anything because they need me still. It's, yeah, interesting. I yeah, I thought my interpretation was almost like he's passing it to him because it's like, you did this. Yeah. You made mm-hmm. me do this. Mm-hmm. It's your fault. And that's why he gives him the bat. So it's almost like, you know, absolving his responsibility for what just happened. Mm. Um, and like just something I wanted to mention as well, just in in, in Quint's motivations here, um, just because I know um, his, you know, he the actor himself, Robert Shaw, you know, was dealing with alcoholism his whole life, basically. Um, whether there's almost a, a comparison that you can draw to that he, he's almost addicted to the the idea of killing this shark, yeah, and how an addict has self destructive tendencies um, to you know meet their needs, and just the way that he self sabotages here is just so typical of an addict, I think. Um, and that then, you know, he's almost quite sheepish when you, when he, when you see him reacting to how Martin Brody, like he knows, he knows he's like done something like basically destructive. He signed his own death warrant here and he's just sort of nodding. And it's just like, that's just something very, um, telling, I think of that in, in that moment that that's almost the subtext of it as, as, as an addict and being addicted to this shark i think it's all it's all connected in a sort of weird sort of meta way i think no i I think you're i think you're 100 percent right i think it it you know it shows the one that he's addicted to it I, i think it's a little bit i mean it's a little bit of both of what you guys are saying like it definitely is you know he's 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 swinging his dick around a little bit in this scene (laughs) and you know that's that's why he hands him the the bat but also there's it kind of reminds me of something this is probably the first time someone has ever compared these two movies outside of the maybe the tension uh it reminds me of the hurt locker um because there's a sequence where he like he jeremy renner's character comes back to the united states afterwards and there's a scene of him in the kitchen and he's wearing, I don't remember if it's a turtleneck, but it's a very high collared shirt that he's wearing. I think it is a turtleneck. Um, and it doesn't really seem like there's any motivation for him to be wearing that at the time. Aside from the fact that it, I think it shows how that character is more comfortable when he's in something that represents sort of his his uniform because he's always got his kerchief around his neck in, in when he's not in the bomb suit, he's got something with a high collar on it. The entire movie. Right. If he's, if he's in the bomb suit, if he's, if he's not in the bomb suit, he's got sort of like the kerchief that he puts over his face to protect from the dust storms. Um, things like that. So, uh, and then he ends up going back from what I remember. I only saw the movie once. Um, and, <laughs> Uh, but it it shows how addicted he is to that. Like he's not truly comfortable in civilian clothes unless they can mimic that of the clothes he was wearing in Afghanistan. And I think that this is sort of similar where he's Quint is not truly comfortable outside of a combat situation unless he can engineer something that evokes that same feeling. And that's a real thing. Like you get addicted to that adrenaline. Um, 
uh, rush. If particularly if you're in the you know in the service, if you're if you're a military member, um, I don't know what it's like over there, but here you see a lot of former military members who drink a ton of caffeine and smoke a ton of cigarettes. And part of it, yeah, is driven by the PTSD. But a lot of that is just, it keeps their heart rate up all day, which they're used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously like Quint's thing is the alcohol, but the, mm-hmm. you know. Oh yeah. He, a lot of alcoholism. Too. Yeah. A lot of it. He, <clears throat> you know, that all the, we talked about the bottles and everything, like all the, the the bottles of his you know moonshine and the cans of Gansett and everything like we've seen it he clearly drinks like whilst he is out you know doing doing his shark catching but this I- idea i guess that there are these sort of like two two addictions for him and they're quite sort of like tied in where sort of there isn't that much distinction between between one and the other is is the alcohol and is this addiction to catching the shark as well and you know at, at all costs and, and whatever it takes and we we've spoken a lot about Quint's sort of potential motivation for that as well and like being motivated by revenge or you know killing the same number of sharks as, as men were killed on the Indianapolis and all the sort of other things that we've come up with but yeah that's a an interesting thing that I hadn't I hadn't really thought about before but it definitely it definitely makes a lot of sense and there actually sort of brings me on to something else that i i noticed and really really appreciated in this scene is so it's it's when quint is down on the the pulpit um and uh i'm trying to describe this you will know the bit i'm talking about when i describe it but the way that the barrels like reload behind him once he has like mm. taken a shot it's like it's just very satisfying to me, to me because <laughs> it, this thing is clearly like rigged up with you know the these barrels. He's clearly done this before, but also the the way that one sort of barrel flies off and the other three just like roll forward. It's like we're seeing the inner workings of a weapon. Like one shot has been fired and now he's reloaded and like ready to go again, and it just it ties together all of these things his you know his military past and like what he is what he is doing now as well and how he has got his you know his his boat set up as well and and the the things that he uses and i just think it's it's just a really great bit and also very much enjoyed because we spoke about how neatly they coiled those ropes before i think last Mm -hmm. week's episode um and you see the very very neatly coiled rope like very neatly uncoiling and it was very very satisfying to watch after we'd pointed that out (laughs) over under it'll save your life every time rap Mm -hmm. pro tip from a sound engineer wrap every (laughs) single cord you have like that your phone charger your headphones your your the video game chords mm-hmm. change your life. <laughs> That's what I came here for. Yep. Cord wrapping <laughs> advice. <laughs> yep. Can so- we talk very quickly just about a moment uh, of editing, which I absolutely love in this moment, um, which is uh, when, well, I think we should, maybe we should talk about it as well. Um, Hooper's delivery of boys. <laughs> Oh boys, so which just 
absolutely cuts through the tension. It's absolutely incredible the way that he delivers it. Um, and that moment that he sort of leaps up to the camera and looms into frame is just, oh, it's just an incredible, very Spielbergian moment, I thought. But immediately after that moment, you've got a shot of um, Brody and he's sort of listening to what Hooper's saying up on deck and he sort of looks around and then he sort of very subtly looks to the left of the screen um, and I don't know if you noticed it but on the right hand side of the screen is I think it's the door or the window from the door you can see like a, a circular window mm. uh, through the frosted window uh, through the frosting of the door and the very next frame I'm going to put this on the discord it cuts to Quint looking out to sea and the shark has appeared um, and I'm going to uh, figure out how to do this now. But I thought, well, that looks very close um, in matching. Oh, hang on. How do I do this? Here we go. And so I overlaid the top of them uh, on top of each other. And they are exactly. Um, so you've got Quint, uh, sorry, uh, Brody looking to the the left of the screen. And you've got the circular window and then it cuts to Quint looking out to sea and the shark appears and they're both the circular window and the shark are in exactly the same place on the, on the, on the screen. It's an incredible piece of editing. Oof. Can you see that. it? Yes. <laughs> I'm just, I'm staring at it and enjoying it. It's that just is amazing, isn't it? And to think that they were shooting this at sea and they were getting whatever they could whenever they could. And, mm-hmm. you know, it must, I mean, it probably is just a, a complete coincidence they had this but like wow i mean it's just amazing um that just that oh moment gosh. of yeah that moment of editing is perfect mm-hmm. I, I, hope I, I no go on sorry sorry i hope i've explained that well enough for people listening and can't see the, the image <laughs> <laughs> yeah we can we can try if we have people being like oh, what are you talking about well <laughs> we can put out the picture that's fine um there's another there's another really great bit as well where i'm just sort of watching the scene in the background trying to trying to get to it so i can describe it but um after you see the barrel sort of like fly fly off um you then see brody it's like through the window and you see like the barrel going past him as well yes um and i know that you know they would have done things to to make all of this possible but it's just great (laughs) i just enjoy it so much i think the editing in this scene is exceptional i mean this is why it won the oscar right it's just the the editing and it did win the editing oscar didn't it am i about to sound real stupid um Uh. (laughs) jaws oscar wins (laughs) that moment uh, i i wondered whether it was composited but um I think it's. I think it's all in camera. Mm. Yes, I think it is too. Yeah. yeah, it looks like it. Yeah, and it did win the Edison Oscar. I'm not insane, so yes, this is the reason why it won this collection of scenes. This is the reason why it won the editing Oscar. I feel. Oh like yeah, this is absolutely the clip they use, right? Like it's. It's. Uh-huh. I feel like it's got to be. Because there's so much in this scene, like outside of the Quint smashing the radio bit and like when i sort of saw this bit coming up in our episode plan i was like oh yeah that's the bit where quint smashes the radio because that is the the bit that you sort of remember because it is such a great bit but everything else around it 
is just so good <laughs> as we're as we're picking out with all these shots here there's another great bit like this is right at the start of of this bit that we're talking about where Brody is on the radio and we it seems like a minute since we've done this but picking up on sort of uh shark fin shapes in the background say that 10 times fast um <laughs> you get it a lot in the obviously on the beach scenes where the umbrellas sort of look like shark fins um sticking out of the sand and there was a bit as well i think when they find ben gardner's boat and there's like a perfect triangle shape cut out of one of the windows um right behind brody like just to the when he's making the call or trying to make the call to the right of the yellow barrel there's like a bit of rope or something but it oh i see it. like a perfect shark yeah fin, um shape as well and i was just like i was that bon joon ho uh meme where it's like to me this is cinema like that was me throughout watching this this scene yeah (laughs) it's a big Uh, mood (laughs) uh before we get to boys oh boys i want to talk about shider's physicality this is the most stuff we've seen shider do since the indianapolis i think um but his physicality screaming at quint is so good he's so tensed up and like hunched over his posture sucks he is pissed (laughs) He's so mad. Um, and the, just the the way he acts it is so good. Like, he's never lost his cool like this the entire movie, basically. And he's done. Like, he is, he is over this. Um, and I think it's also a good way of showing that, you know, this has got to be an anxiety trigger for Brody um, by not having that access to the land as well. And you know, we've talked about the mental illness reading of this before. And um, we've talked about our own experiences with that. And I think a lot of times like your own anxiety and mental illness can kind of topple over and spill into someone else's Uh, in the moment. Sometimes it can be deliberate, you know, because you're looking out for your own survival and you don't really care about those around you as callous as that's a, as it sounds to say that. Um, and then afterwards, you know, you have to kind of go on an apology tour. Um, but it, it in turn can, if someone else has, you know, their own trauma and anxiety can trigger someone else by virtue of you kind of getting rid of that trigger for yourself when you're in survival mode. And that's exactly what happens here. But Quint's Quint has alleviated his trigger now. So he's more calm. He's still, he's coming down from it. And Brody's has now, you know, cranked to 11 and Quint is still within his anxiety, but he's taken away the thing. So he's just dismissive of it. Like, hey, I got mine, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's really interesting to kind of see how their anxieties crisscross in this scene and play off of each other. And like one in turn triggers another, which then triggers the other one. Um it's it's really really fascinating to watch that that play out in such a uh a dynamic way to be sure but i mean 1975 we are not thinking about mental health this way at all well he's almost passing what you're saying uh handing the 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 anxiety going from one to the other he hands over the bat and that is the handing over Mm. of the anxiety isn't it from one to the other um and 
uh, yeah, Shard is incredible in this moment. I'm just watching this scene backwards and forwards, and he just <laughs> absolutely goes for it, doesn't he? He's just pure rage. But Robert Shaw, I mean, you know, they say like acting is reacting. His reaction <laughs> is just it's him. It's incredible just to watch him. You know, he scratches his head. He's no, he's nodding along. He raises his hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. It, it's just brilliant, and, he, and and then he just turns away. And I just love the way that uh, Brody ends it with uh, what does it say? He says, "And I tell you what, uh, no, that's it. You're certifiable, but I'll tell you this." And we never find out what he was going to tell him. <laughs> yeah, insert expletives here. I, yeah. I feel like it's there. <laughs> I think that's what he was going to say. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's every name in the book after that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's a very Ahab moment, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure you've mm-hmm. met references yeah, many times, yeah. but like, you know, um, the way that Quint then goes out and he's just looking out to sea, you know, that's his, that's his, like, that's his great whale, isn't it? He's, he's looking out to sea, thinking about that at that moment. Mm-hmm. And then that's where Hooper pops up. Yes. One of my favourite Hooper lines. I just... I think it's all in the delivery of, it's of this line for me because it's just, it's the way it slices through the tension as well. It's just so perfectly pitched because we have just had this very, very tense moment between, you know, the two characters. I think this is the closest so far that we've had to like a physical altercation between between these, you know, these three characters or two of these characters. And we we finish it with you know Brody is I've just got it on a like pause now but Brody like pointing this bat at Quint like he is mad there are veins popping out of his face like he is absolutely livid and the thing that <laughs> that cuts through it is just this great line from from Hooper it's sort of you know I just I like the way he calls them boys as well I just think yeah. it's quite it's quite playful and it's very Hooper um and you know saying the the repeat of that as well it's not you know it's not just you know boys he's come back from his his uh noon feed and it's like oh boys <laughs> like it's <Yeah>. very uh <laughs> just very playful and childlike it feels it feels like and as a side note i frequently mentioned that i like to insert jaws quotes into my into my everyday life uh my new one that i'm gonna that i'm gonna use the next time I'm at an all-you-can-eat buffet restaurant is, uh, <laughs> I think he's coming back for his noon feeding. When I go back for my second plate uh, is the line that I'm going to now insert into everyday conversation because it's so good. <laughs> it is perfect. It is perfect. And it just sort of, it puts them in their place as well. You know, they're arguing over something. Mm. I mean, it's not trivial, but the way, like, there is a bigger matter at hand, and it's a giant, giant shark. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, and this is where the music ta- uh, starts up again, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, I had um, the subtitles on, as I know you guys like to do uh, when you're watching it. But it just says tense music, <laughs> and that's <laughs> tense, mu- tense music. Hook me up another barrel, and here we are. We're back into action again. And Hooper, when it cuts back to Hooper after he said that, um, he sort of leaps into action. But he's got a, he's got a bit of a smile on his face. I think he's like 
he's into it now. He's like very much into this whole notion of catching the shark with Quint. Um, and like you say, the way that they then work together, he jumps down, picks up the gun, starts hooking up the barrel. Quint starts moving across. It's all they're all moving together, apart from uh, Brody, who's sort of very much frozen in place by this by this moment. It's uh, it's, it's terrific. Uh another this is absolutely the first time people have compared this movie um <laughs> to to jaws but it reminds me quite a bit of uh a line that has stuck me with me from a movie i remember nothing about but there's a moment in the animated film mega mind where uh <laughs> mega mind and the superhero character are arguing about something. I don't remember what it is, but Tina Fey, her character, the character voiced by her is still kind of like tied up in Mega Man's mind's hideout. It has not been rescued at all. And they just start, I mean, it's a really petty argument. And she just goes, girls, girls, you're both pretty. Can I go home now? And that's exactly the energy that Hooper brings into this, where he's like, hey, there's something bigger that we need to worry about than the radio and Quint's mental state even right now. And that's this shark behaving like a murderer. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny because like we've spoken at length about you know this this idea of like a transference of anxiety from from one to the other and you know the meaning behind quint destroying the thing that is you know potentially gonna bring them help or 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 rescue and how now you know brody will be feeling a certain type of way because you know calling for backup or calling for help is you know what he knows to do in a in a crisis so the fact that this (laughs) that this line then cuts into into all of that and it's like it's not it's not so inconsequential the altercation that is happening between Brody and Quint there's actually a lot that we can read into that and take away from it as we have been doing but it is also like yeah guys there's still a shark out there so (laughs) let's just concentrate on that thing for a minute rather than uh you guys having a a dick dick measuring contest in the in the cabin (laughs) I have one last thing kind of on my end that I wanted to talk about. So when Quint grabs the bat, we're kind of jumping around here, but when Quint grabs the bat, he kind of goes out of his way to show the camera his hand with the, mm. the rope burn on it. Um, what what did you guys make of that if you made anything of it? Well, it, from the moment previous, it's the he'd cut it on the on the on the fishing um but in terms of why they needed to reinforce that i don't know it's kind of i'd noted it down that you that that he shows his hand to the camera almost Mm -hmm. um it looks like a very deliberate movement yeah i i've maybe got something i'm just i've got the scene scene on in the background just in case uh i'm wrong but i think that there's a bit like after he has finished because he is using i mean he uses both hands with this bat but i think there is a moment where like after he has finished like smashing up the the radio 
he sort of like it's his left hand isn't it i think that's that's cut he sort mm-hmm. of like holds it up a bit or like shakes it a bit as you know i think just emphasizing just like even though just emphasizes that he's a bit of a badass i don't know it's just like he's still you know he has this injury or whatever this this war wound that he's got now but he's still got the the strength in him to sort of like do do this thing as well but it is a i don't know if that's enough like because it is so deliberate that sort of showing the mm-hmm. showing the cut to to camera i really tried to find something more than that because i don't know if we need reminding that it's there because we literally just saw it happen um but it's like when you know he he picks up the bat is it now that that bat has got like his blood on it and i i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean i was kind of thinking it's almost like a uh uh remember the shark drew first blood type of situation and not mm-hmm. with quint directly necessarily but with humanity where it's like uh you know the shark came to our turf and you know killed chrissy and that's why we're here and it's just a reminder of like the sort of uh the 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 human flesh costs that the shark has had on amity uh since the beginning of the film and like it's sort of like a uh uh you know uh, a why we fight type of moment where you know it's it's that character reminding the audience of like hey remember there's you know the shark caused this injury on quint and also it stands as a symbol for all the havoc that it's wreaked on this community since the beginning of the film and at no point have the government which is what brody is calling for been effective at handling it yeah, I've got nothing to add, I'm afraid. I mean, the only other thing I thought was that it shows that maybe he was acting out of, you know, anger for the injury to his hand. And that had sort of just, you know, peed him off just that extra bit more. And that's what led him to do this. But I mean, that's it's such a minor motivation. Uh, just something to note as well, when when he smashes the radio, there's bottles of alcohol there as well. So it's a sort of just another <laughs> reminder that he's probably quite drunk in this moment, uh, as he has been for most of the movie. Um, yeah, the I had something about the the hand, but now it's gone. So I'm hoping it comes back to me as I continue talking. I don't think it was that important. Otherwise, I'd have been screaming it. Um, but the the bottles that you that you mentioned it's funny because Brody when he has the bat there is no radio there now to destroy so he is just kind of like whacking like the side where like the radio used to be and he whether deliberately or not the bottles fall uh they look empty to be fair but maybe it is just kind of like he's not going to hurt Quint directly by hitting him around the head with this bat but he is going to hurt quinn in some way by <laughs> by taking away <laughs> some of his uh his his precious moonshine from him but <laughs> something um i uh to mention just about the drinking again um i i interviewed ian shaw his son um mm. for the play uh the, mm-hmm. the shark is broken play and he said that one thing that he did was to consult his father's drinking diary um so apparently he kept a diary of what he drank every day um and so like this idea of quint being the alcoholic i mean it's very much and robert shaw is the alcoholic as well um 
but just an idea that an alcoholic would keep a diary of what they've been drinking it just seems mad or whether he's trying to cut down or what, what i don't know but these drink these bottles are probably real they probably were filled <laughs> with uh, booze when they started um yeah yeah I think that the, the we are really jumping around, but I think the the hand thing has come back to me a little in what I was I think I was aiming for is that 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 injury happened from I guess a moment of Quint letting letting his guard down, like he had instructed Hooper to like not let you know if if the shark bites to just let the rope go and it all you know because otherwise it'll it'll take your hands clean off sort of thing and you know seconds after telling that to to hooper quint forgets his own instructions and and the the rope goes through his hands and it cuts him we sort of see see the cut happen and then showing it again in this scene is and quint acting in a way that's quite irrational as well with the with the bat despite the fact that we've come up with very good reasons about why he could be <laughs> destroying the radio is I guess just showing where Quint is kind of at mentally at the moment in that he's he's mm-hmm. making mistakes, you know, like he did with the rope just now. He's acting in a way that perhaps isn't the sort of level-headed, more rational version of, of Quint that we saw. I mean, this version of Quint is so far away from that, you know, strapping himself slowly into his chair and sort of leaning back and and being laser focused on on this shark. He's still, I mean, we talked about how great that movement is moving around the boat. He's not sloppy, but I think that it's, as we're leading up to Quint's death, we have to understand that this guy has got to make some mistakes along the way and do some things wrong for that to be believable, but that, that that is a thing that happens. Um, so maybe it's just sort of like planting some of those like small seeds and and showing the hand again is a reminder of like you know he just made a mistake he he didn't follow his his own advice sort of thing he's now about about to make arguably another mistake by destroying the the one thing that you know they could call to to get back up or to get help so maybe those two things are are linked in some way i don't i don't know but yeah you guys aware of the um the screenwriting thing the point of no return this is like um mm. a classical screenwriter thing i think it's um yeah. this, this is it this is the moment right mm-hmm. it's i think it no whether it normally happens uh halfway through or in the in the final act but this is this is the moment where like everything th- there is no turning back from here um uh and yeah i thought it was quite interesting that this situation um, can now not be redeemed. There is only one end now for for Quint, yeah. and this is the, really you've got an incredible few episodes or however many episodes you've got left ahead mm-hmm. as it reaches the conclusion. So I'm excited to hear like getting into the rest of it. But this really was the pivotal moment. I mean, you could argue that them getting on the boat was the pivotal moment, or you know, whatever. Um, or Brody even coming to the island was the pivotal moment, but this really is. This is the moment where um, they cut the cord and they're going to hit the hit the ground a- a- in any mo- at any moment. Um, it's just a, it's a brilliant moment. It's just a fantastic moment. Well, I think we said 
maybe in last week's episode sort of talking about Quint getting this injury is that, you know, Quint's blood is now in the water. We've spoken a lot about how much foreshadowing there is of Quint's death in the film, like right from the first moment we see Quint all the way through the Indianapolis. There's a bunch of, of foreshadowing. There's so much that foreshadows Quint's death is is going to happen. So from from that moment, from sort of like getting the getting that cut on his hand and, you know, Quint's blood now being in the water and, you know, the shark is not because of, you know, voodoo curses or whatever the sequels try to get into, but because there is his actual blood in the water, the shark is now sort of going after Quint or has, has got the taste for Quint, if you will. Um I guess showing, yeah, showing that that cut again is, you know, it, the being like this is really a significant bit. This is like the beginning of the end for Quint. Like now his blood has been spilled and is in the water. We're basically just seeing the sequence of events leading up to up to Quint's death, and it's like, you like you said, you know, this sort of point of point of no return or like no turning back sort of thing. It's just like everything that happens from this point sort of feels like a foregone conclusion because of because of that thing i guess you could argue yeah and also interesting that brody says asks now where the hell are we at at that moment (laughs) it's like it's very much not just geographically but also philosophically where are we what is this moment now like what what the hell are we going to do now Mm -hmm. it's brilliant it's just a perfect and i don't think that's in the script I i think i checked it before uh, a couple of weeks ago but I don't think that moment is written in the script but um, whatever it is it's 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 a brilliant brilliant line where are we now because um, Quint has no answer to it really yeah um, did you guys have anything else I think I've covered everything in my notes <laughs> and I had some very long notes as well yeah, I had a lot of notes. The only the only other thing I wanted to mention, and this is really just tying it back to the podcast I do, which is about um, uh, James Bond. And I don't know how well you know you guys know the James Bond film that um, Robert Shaw is in uh, for your eyes from only. Love. Yeah, for, sorry, not for your Love. <laughs> yes, I should have known that. One. Yeah, I've written down um, for your eyes only here, but yeah, it's from Russia with Love, and um, yeah, so like in that film, uh, Red. Uh, Robert Shaw plays Red Grant um, and Red Grant is a psychopathic killer and he's introduced at the start of the film killing James Bond uh, but it turns out it's not James Bond and then he uh, then stalks James Bond through the rest of the film until he comes up later and he's a silent killer that moves through the movie and only then comes up when they get on the train and I always thought that the parallels between his character and Jaws itself were always just two fascinating like coincidences. Um, obviously, they are just coincidences and they're great stories, but I just always found that comparison between Red Grant and Bruce, the, Bruce the Shark, really, really fascinating in that, you know, he's a, a cold, uh, like dead-eyed psycho killer who just surfaces occasionally throughout the movie and then right at the very end has a huge confrontation and then ultimately gets killed. Um, I just thought that was interesting. Um, uh knowing now what I know about from Russia with love and, and all that sort of stuff and, and studying Robert Shaw and looking into his life. I just thought it was a really interesting thing that I wanted to mention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, it's one of my favorite Connery, maybe my favorite Connery Bond movie. It's fantastic. Yeah. Terrific film. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Yep, it's, man, it's so good. Um, but <laughs> that's a perfect segue into plugs. So Tom, you've mentioned your podcast. Um, where can people find it? Where can people find you? And uh, yeah, how can they find out about what you're doing? Sure, yeah. I mean, it's it's called the James Bond A to Z podcast and we started it in the start of 2020, I think like a lot of people. Uh, it's a bit of a lockdown project. So it's called the James Bond A to Z. Um, each episode covers a handful of creatives uh, in a sort of, you know, an A to Z encyclopedic format. And we've just recently covered From Russia With Love and that'll be out in the new year. Um, and then throughout 2022, it's the 60th anniversary. So we'll just continue doing it throughout then as well. And we've got lots of episodes coming up, Golden Eye, Goldfinger, lots of great episodes. Um, so you can find us on, on uh, all the podcast apps under the James Bond A to Z podcast. And then we're on facebook instagram twitter under james bond a to z um and then if people want to find me on twitter i'm just at tom butler uh, as it's as it's spelt there's no um no weird spellings or underscores or anything that's that's it that's me that's where you'll find me i'm normally talking about james bond or jurassic park or jaws or the beatles or yeah come find me um yeah great i love james bond podcasts so i will definitely check that out <laughs> please do uh, Sarah, do you have anything to plug? Um, I have written some stuff, probably. Um, I've written so much stuff, I can't remember what I've written. But if you want to find any of the features I've been writing for Looper, um, you can go to my author page, which is looper.com forward slash author forward slash Sarah Buttery. Um, and there you can find all of the stuff that I have written recently. Um, it is up i think i mentioned it on last week's episode as well but i did like a, a deep dive into jewel which was so much fun nice i love that film a lot and there's a great uh deal of comparisons between jewel and jaws so um definitely go and check that out if you like listening to us uh ramble on about jaws on this podcast then hopefully you will enjoy me rambling on about jewel as well um probably won't be up by the time this episode comes out but my next kind of deep dive style feature i'm doing is on one of my favorite disney films uh which is fantasia so hmm. i'm prepared for it to be about ten thousand words long and then i will have to cut <laughs> it down and it will break my heart um but uh, it will be in a <laughs> slightly more uh, uh, digestible uh, format than the 10,000 words it will probably start out as. So, yeah, uh, you can check that out uh, on my Twitter is where the link is, I think, in my bio for all the stuff that I'm writing. Great. Um, I don't really have anything to plug. Real Perspective, um, R-E-E-L Perspective um, on all the uh, the podcast platforms. Um you can check out our appearance on the, the movie Robcast. Uh, if you're listening to this the day it comes out, it is Christmas Eve. So um, we were, Sarah and I were both on the Christmas episode of the movie Robcast. And then I did two episodes of their Highlander Minute by Minute podcast. Another Time McLeod, episodes 17 and 18, talking about a fight with the Kurgan, played by Clancy Brown, who is great in that movie. And then um, Connor's Exile uh, in the past from his his village in Scotland after he is killed by the Kurgan, but not actually killed by the Kurgan. So uh, yeah, you can check those out um, on all the available podcast platforms. Um, I had something else I was going to say about that and I don't remember what it was. So I will move on. Um, this is our last episode of 2021. Um, thank you guys 
for listening uh, and sharing the show. As of time of recording, we are... uh, Let's see. Is that the refresh button? It is not. I can't see. There we go. We are... Come on, internet. There we go. We are at 14,493 plays across all of the platforms, which is wild. Um, But we would like to get to 15,000 by the end of 2021. And that is only 507 more plays. And uh, so we would appreciate it if you guys could get the word out um, and... uh, Share the share the show. Listen to your favorite episodes, um, etc. Uh, you know we have had a lot of people say that we helped uh, them clean and work out and things like that, and we we love to be a part of that routine uh, for you guys. So just thank you for um, making this show a part of your lives in this last year. That's been kind of up and down for us all. Um, the other thing, Spotify now has ratings, so you can give us a rating, a star rating on YouTube, or on YouTube, sorry, on Spotify. I don't know where YouTube came from. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you are a Spotify listener, give us a rating on there. That helps us, uh, you know, climb the charts and get more visible to people, which we would like to do um, so that we can keep uh, making this podcast for you guys. So... Um, yeah, just thanks a lot uh, uh, for that. You can also help out the show, well, friend of the show, Harley Mumford, by sending in your yums for his uh, Kings of Leon Jaws parody. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, he is making a parody song of the Kings of Leon song, uh, Use Somebody, called Eat Somebody, uh, about <laughs> the shark eating people. So, um if you want to know more about that, I will let Hurley explain that here. Basically, I want to get as many people as possible to send me audio recordings of them singing, yum, yum, yum. If, if you can do that, it doesn't matter what your range is, if you're higher, if you're lower than that, if whatever, whatever's comfortable for you, please, please, please do it. Uh, you can email me. It's fundamentalspod uh, at yahoo.com. Make sure I've got that right. Or you can message me on social media. It doesn't matter how you record it. If you've got professional setup, you want to send me a WAV file, it's brilliant. If you just record it on your phone and want to send it to me as an MP3 recording, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, I would love to have it. I would love for you to send it to me because what I would love to do is get as many recordings as possible of that, layer it up, and then make this as epic and as stupid as it deserves to be. (laughs) So I can only do it with your help. And you can send that to fundamentalspod at yahoo.com. That's F-A-N-D-O-M-E-N-T-A-L-S pod at yahoo.com. This first came up in episode 51. So yeah, this is our last episode for the year. We will be back with a bonus episode on January 7th. Um, we have a small interview with uh, AJ, the lead singer of the band Squalus. If you've listened to the Show Me the Way to Go Home episode, you'll know that Squalus is a sludge metal band from the California Bay Area who writes Jaws-themed metal songs. So you can hear uh, my conversation with him about 
how in the hell that works. Um, and yeah, regular episodes. So the minute by minute uh, content will resume on January 14th, 2022. So until uh, that time, we just, we hope you have a great holiday. And speaking of holiday, uh, it's a little late to get your shopping done, but if you would like to to buy merch for uh, yourself or someone in your life who is an LJ fam fan or turn them into one, uh, you, we, you can buy merch that has one of two logos on it on Redbubble and TeePublic, and you can find those links in our Twitter bio and our Instagram bio. You can find us on Twitter at Jaws for a Minute. You can find us on Finstagram at Jaws for a Minute, and you can find all those links there. Um, shout out to Alex for designing those. You can find him on Twitter at HexGhosts. Um, you can also buy our theme song, performed, written and performed by Kristen Falls, uh, at Kristen Falls Music on Instagram. You can find a link to her Bandcamp in her bio to purchase the song. Once again, uh, link is in our bio as well in our link tree. And last but not least, if you would like to make a donation just because you want to support the show, um, you can donate through our coffee page which is a three dollar minimum and you will get a shout out on the show and once we hit a certain donation goal um, you will be entered to win a piece of merch um, probably a t-shirt and uh, yeah so it's a three dollar minimum investment and you can win a potentially twenty dollar um, uh, piece of merch also we will be having a contest once we hit fifteen thousand plays right mm -hmm. uh, as well so um, yeah, help us get to those goals. Uh, have a very, very good holiday season. Uh, we will see you guys in the new year. Until next time, it's Jaws O'Clock somewhere. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs>